Hey y'all, welcome to Peculiar Citizen. And this is a place for folks who don't conform to labels and maybe even color a little outside the lines. Maybe you're in college learning Swahili when everyone else is taking Spanish. Or perhaps later in life, you don't get married by 25 and you're 42 and still waiting on the one. I'm here for all of it. And I'm your host, Tiffany Haney Brown. It's February. So that means Black History Month is quite the commodity, especially nowadays. Those of us of African-American heritage know that we're going to see a little more representation on platforms and on store shelves. And Black content creators can definitely get a boost with making videos and posts culturally relevant. But what we don't always talk about are the subtle and overt ways we are told we may not pass the grade based on behavior, interests, appearance, who we associate with, or even love. The irony is that often the criticism doesn't come from folks who don't look like us, but rather from within the Black community itself. Let's get into it. All right. Happy Black History Month. It's here. We still got a few more days left to milk it and to celebrate our culture in the month designated for us, you know, highlighting the progress that we made that we still have to go. And of course, for all of us that are of color, usually we say every day is a day for Black history because we've made so many contributions over the years throughout history. But I wanted to come from a different angle because it's something that I've seen personally with other people also happen with myself is that there seems to be like this barometer of blackness that we tend to impose on each other. And I know that's interesting because we say we don't want to be treated as a monolith. We say we don't want to be treated um, as if we're all one, one mind, like some type of hive mentality. But it's interesting because we start to think critically of those who don't always act in ways that we might define within those self-defined parameters of Blackness. You know, it could be we're just a little too different in a weird way, you know, too suburban, too quirky. Uh, we talk a certain way, have a different cadence in our voice. Um, it could go down to even gestures. It could be the type of music that we listen to. So it just seems interesting that when you think about um, how approximate we can be to what is considered white perceived behavior or appearance, people start to get uncomfortable in the community of color. You know, you get these words people throw out like coconut and Oreo and, you know, who knows when all these terms came around. I'm sure that back in the 1800s, back in the slave days, you know, they had the, you know, the Uncle Uncle Tom, you know, I think that kind of goes in that same kind of realm of you know, someone that is not really for our people. So you don't really perceive them as, as really being authentically uh, Black or authentically African-American. And it's just interesting because I think that we hold these internal checklists 
that we do within ourselves uh, that will give a low score on different things that we perceive to be outside of, of the norm. Um, and so then you can basically get your proverbial black car revoked. I mean, when you think about the big elephant in the room is dating. You know, if you date a person that's white or a person that's not black, uh, or if you have white friends, um, and that that tends to make people, once you kind of start not only acting in a way that they perceive to be not black enough, then you start aligning yourselves and having some associations that for people that don't look like you, you know, God forbid, like if you marry that person, then it's like you kind of go down on your score. And that is always something that's kind of intrigued me. And when I think about acting black or acting white, a lot of times we put these buckets around people whether it's you grew up in the city, a more urban environment, or the suburbs. Um, it can be down to shopping habits. Um, if you shop at Trader Joe's or if you shop at the Family Dollar, um, if you sound in some ways uh, more of, I think Ebonics is not even, people don't even use that term anymore, but if you sound more quote unquote ghetto, <laughs> Or or you just don't always have a clear pronunciation of all words. That seems to skew more on the, oh, that's more acceptable in the urban communities. And then when you start to speak more proper and enunciate your words, and then it just becomes a matter of like, hmm, now you're starting to act white. You know, so like if if you are hanging out at a store and you're having interactions with people and and then you just kind of go into these scenarios where it could even be higher education. If you actually end up going to college or you end up pursuing a master's degree or PhD and maybe you go into biology or some other very like technical field it, it's interesting that, and there are studies that have been done about this, that there are people that when they're in their own community, in the Black community, and they decide to uh, pursue higher education, that they're now perceived as acting white. You know, if they're reading books, oh my God forbid, you know, we already know about that Chris Rock joke from years ago, you know, that if you want to hide something, put it in a book. You know, because the N words, they don't really go for the books like that. And so I, I, I get I get that understanding where, you know, we, we kind of start putting things in buckets because that's kind of how our minds work. I, I heard that somewhere that that we like to bucket people. We like to put people in different labels and and to be able to understand the world around us. It just makes it easier for us to just move forward in life because they're not constantly having to readjust as you move forward. But I think that, you know, performing better academically doesn't need to mean that you are now um, not a popular person. Like there's been these perceptions and I've um, seen some information that when you perform better academically, 
in the Black and Hispanic population, you tend to not be as popular. But it has the opposite effect when you're a white student. So the more better that you are in your academic in school, you're perceived to be popular. So, you know, this is a strange kind of inverse, you know, situation that goes on. And then let me talk about pets just for a second. I've already mentioned before, I'm, you know, I'm a cat lover. You know, if you love a cat over a dog in the black community, oh, you're going to catch some flack. You're going to, I mean, you, you've got some lovers out there and I'm starting to see some people, you know, we don't always like post our pets and, you know, want to seem like we're going overboard and all of that. But, and you may hear a dog in the background, which, you know, was frankly very annoying. I mean, there are, there are benefits to having a cat over a dog. And I don't, pers- I don't love one over the other. I at one point would love to have a dog, but it's just interesting that in our community, if you if you love a cat, people are just they're giving you weird vibes and weird energy, you know. So again, that just kind of goes back to that labeling, and you know, oh, we're we're taking some points off. Oh, you that's what you're into. That's not perceived as a black culture. And then when we get into music, that's an interesting realm, you know. So if you skew more like the R and B, hip hop, jazz. You know, that's that's the more acceptable um, things that you should be getting off into. But if you start venturing off into certain rock, you know, alternative, oh, country, you know, that's that's a big hotbed topic right now, especially with Beyonce. And it's interesting because there's someone that I've known before that we went to the same church and he was really off into um, this country group. And, you know, it's kind of like a light kidding when you talk about the country music and him liking, you know, this group. But it's like we all know underneath the surface, like we're not really known for liking country music. But then when Beyonce steps into the realm, then we're, we're coming with all the ammunition and we're pulling out the receipts of the past and how we helped form country music and that is basically the basis um, that many black musicians uh, came from that are now the building blocks of what is country music today and then also when we talk about um, the style of dress you know if you dress a certain way you know too preppy or too out the box different avant-garde you can definitely get a few more demerits taken off of your black card list. And you know what? I've always kind of pushed against that because my idea of my blackness is, you know, just permission to simply be who I am. And that's what I think is missing. The missing component is that we don't allow ourselves and other people that look like us to to be simply who we are um, and not be a model that something that we've always pushed against that we're not all thieves and robbers and, and drug dealers and you know a host of other negative things, pimps and all of all of the the tropes that are thrown out there to display us not in the best light. 
But when we on a a more personal level, we tend to just gravitate back to those those almost stereotypical behaviors that we expect um, to have for people to have. And we are just as nuanced and unique as any other race. And you know, it's it's interesting when you see other people in different communities, you know, especially, you know, being in a predominantly white community, and you'll you'll see, you know, well, I'll say white society at large when you're out and about and you're seeing people just as individualized as they want to be. Like when I went to CAS back in the day. There were the goth people, you know, you had your artsy, you know, wearing a lot of colors, dyeing their hair. Uh, and and so when I'm going to school with a lot of um, students that weren't always white and I had a, a big part of the portion of the school was black. But when I got to my art floor because I was an art student, then that's when you're seeing people just being singularly like who they are. But if I were to go through my high school book, you're going to see most of the high school, black high school kids, they're going to have the the bamboo earrings. They're going to have asymmetrical haircuts, you know, just the typical look. And I think that we, after a while, we start to attach a burden on each other when most on the outside they just see us as black period. Like we're not, <laughs> we're not getting away from whatever label that we're we're um, having put on us by us labeling each other. And so my background is I've gone to Detroit public schools. That was all of my um, elementary, middle, high school, and then going into college. And so even before I got to college, you know, so I'm I'm a reader, you know, I always read lots of books. My mom read lots of books and always had, you know, books laying around. Um, she would read uh, authors like Frank Yerby. She had books from Alex Haley. Um, she listened to music from, I say mainly black, but but some others mixed in like the Fleetwood Mac and the Elton John and, you know, but she had Shaka Khan and she had LTD, you know, so she had like a, a range of, because the 70s music was, was popping and the 80s music was popping. And I felt like it was more of a blending of, you could listen um, to certain artists and it wasn't necessarily like stigmatized because it was all like fire music. So no one's going to come at you funny about listening to, to um, Steely Dan, you know, cause everybody was, was appreciating the music. So when I came up and by the time I got to high school, I had primarily a, a all black experience. I, you know, I have a few little friends back in middle school that I found that were um, one was from Laos and, the other one was uh, part a Native American. But then when I got to this mall and I started working there, there was this girl named Carla. And Carla was actually Arab and white. And then there was another girl that worked at, at the store with me. And I can't recall her name, but I remember her. She was, you know, bamboo earrings and asymmetrical haircut, but she was white. And she 
dated black guys, you know, and so she, when if you were to talk to her on the phone, you would think maybe you're talking to a possibly a black person. And, you know, I worked with predominantly, it was um, maybe about three or four white girls that, that worked, but then there was, you know, me and, and Carla. And then the other girl that she almost felt like, let's just name her Tina. Um, we'll just say that not trying to talk about Tina Marie because I love me some Tina Marie. It just the name just popped in my head. So Tina, we're we're all walking out. It's me, uh, Tina, and Carla, and the other white girls that we were working with. And so we're walking out, going to the door, and Carla, the one that's um, Arab and white, and she was like, "Yeah, you and Tina." You guys, your personalities like should switch places. I'm like, wow. <laughs> you know, and, and the white girls, I remember them being like shocked, like, like horrified that she actually said that. Like she did not, even back then, back in the 90s, like she knew well enough to be like, you know, the girls were like, you shouldn't really be saying that about her. Like, I'm just genuinely being who I am. And I'm not being influenced at this point by corporate America. You know, I mean, you may see stuff on TV or whatever, but, you know, I was just a, a quiet, pretty introverted person that didn't really do a lot of activities outside of school. As I had mentioned in previous um, posts and videos that I actually, uh, you know, my, I took care of my mom. So I was not really out here, you know, having a, a full high school experience. And so when I do get to college, I'm also going to a school that is in the Detroit, um, this in Detroit, not in the suburbs or anything. But I, I've noticed something about me that when I was in college, I went to London and Paris and I am a sponge. Like I take on some of the attributes in my area. That's just how I'm cut, how I made, and I don't, I don't have any problem with it. Um, I haven't had to make peace with it. It's just, I know that's something about me, I think, as having more of a creative um, a vibe that I like to take in atmospheres. And when I do, I tend to take on some of the characters of it. So when I went to London, we went to London, and then a couple of days later, we went to Paris. And just randomly, we're just walking around and I actually said, well, look at the baby. I'm like, wait a minute, where did that come from? I've only been in London like two days and I'm, I'm having a British accent. I remember going to Atlanta, uh, maybe a few years later. And I ended, I could see my, my voice was starting to get that Southern twang. So then you dump me into corporate America and I'm, I'm around predominantly uh, white people. There's a little bit of a mix here and there, but as I mentioned um, before and being in the ad world, it's not a lot of us in the ad world. So I'm in here immersed in this environment. So, but I was already getting flack even before I got to my corporate job, okay? <laughs> so to me, I just think that I have been one of those little fish out of water scenario where you can't really box me in. You know, I mean, I've had friends, well-meaning, that have uh, said, well, I, I thought you would marry a white guy. I did not. 
I married a man from the east side of Detroit and, you know, deep east, <laughs> you know, and then I've been told that I, I have white tendencies and I don't even like what, what is, what are white tendencies? I, I can't really know for sure. I mean, there are some things that we can kind of laugh about and that we know sometimes there's some general things that some people are off into versus others. But I just I just think that we have to to take a, a look and step back and say, are we are we doing the same thing to to ourselves that we don't want done to us as a whole? Because I, I just noticed that other races tend to give other people more permission to be, you know, free to exist as their authentic self without labels. And I think that over time, we have let pop culture, our inherited biases from all the years in this country, the history of our country, our internal racism, you know, colorism just the news, uh, just the rhetoric in the air, it just, it starts to inform our opinions. And I think that we, after a while, we start to self-sabotage and it can damage a person's sense of identity. Um, I've, I've seen articles of people that said that basically they didn't feel comfortable dating someone within their race because they felt like the women or men that they were involved in. Really, I've really seen it more like for men that the women were like, you're too dorky or you're too nerdy or you're, you know, and then they end up becoming, you know, super famous people that have just been who they are and didn't shrink from men, try to fit in this, in this view, in this parameter. But I think that it does go deeper and it does end up causing um, damage to people's um, self-esteem and, you know, having to navigate through like your sense of identity and it can affect your mental health. Um, as for me, I have just been who I am and I'm not going to change. I'm, I'm not thinking that I need to assess um, things and tone anything down or let me let me try to change my voice around so that I can feel more accepted and, and change my style or whatever. It's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to prescribe to this, you know, crabs in a barrel mentality. Cause I really think that on some levels, we, we have so many fronts that we're fighting in terms of just equality and justice that this is something that I think this is internal work that people have to think within themselves, you know, am I, am I projecting this onto other people so that we can kind of work and get past this? Because it's interesting that when you start adding money and fame on top of people that we consider not necessarily uh, black enough, that the judgment starts to go away. I mean, I think about people that we know on a famous level, that they have just been who they are they're not shrinking from their uniqueness or their gifts, uh, their aspirations, uh, their upbringing uh, to fit in inside anyone else's parameters. When I think about Lenny Kravitz or Nina Simone, if we go all the way back to Josephine Baker, you know, she had to go all the way to, to France and, and feel like this was a space for her. 
uh, for Quinta Brunson. You know, she she was kind of quirky and out there, and and now she has a, a hit show. You know, and everything is kind of opened up for her. I mean, Michael Jackson. Come on now, we know Michael Jackson was a different kind of guy, and saying all types of funny stuff in his music that we still like. Your vegetable is that what he was saying? I don't know what he was saying, but also like Issa Rae, like her whole branding was around being awkward, you know, not being like this smooth, polished, like sex symbol of a black woman. Um, Prince being just himself, authentically into his instruments, into the guitar, being a perfectionist, wearing blouses with ruffles and heels, and we all fell for it. I mean, I, I crushed on them. And then if we think about like Jimi Hendrix, you know, forerunner to Prince, you know, that was like a freer, it feels like it was a freer time, you know, back in the sixties where you could kind of be, you could be a hippie and you could be out there. Of course, your parents probably didn't like it, but you know, we go back to something more current and even more just um, stately. What about President Obama? Somehow we thought he was kind of cool but nerdy at the same time. But I'm sure coming up that he had issues where people were like, mm, you you really not black enough. And your mom's white, you know? So you got kind of all of this kind of swimming in there together. When I look at social media, there are certain uh, people that I follow that are who they are. And, you know, one of my favorites is Tony Baker. He's a cat lover. You know, he, his brain goes in all these different crazy, interesting um, ways, but he is very, very much loved by the Black community. And no one would think that, oh, he's not, he's not Black enough. He's just being himself. When I think about Derek Downey, who is into the squirrels, and we never would think about squirrels in the way if it weren't for him and his different style of dress and uh, Kevlon stage. He has a very unique and quirky way. I've seen him live once. And it's like, wow, he really goes into so many different directions. And he's never strayed away from uh, being how he is. And Tabitha Brown, everybody loves Tab. You know, I've seen a video from before. I think she was trying to change her voice a little bit and sound a little less Southern and folksy. And... She just decided, I'm just going to be me. I'm just, I mean, she just did a viral video rating something that she ate from a store. And then here she is years later building on this and having a whole empire where you can find stuff at Target with her name on it. Uh, there's a newer person I've been following, Felicia Deshay. And she does these impressions of different accents, you know, Irish and Jamaican and, and uh, Nigerian. And, you know, she just lands it when she does this. Like, she just, it's like, wow, like, this is so cool. And then I love um, Lambalisha. Lambalisha, she runs around her apartment with her orange cats, like, running after her. And so I do... I am thankful for social media in a way that it has expanded our view of what it means to be Black, what it looks like, what, what are our iterations. 
you know, because I think after all, when we think about things like education and, and diction, how we see our words and, and wardrobe, wardrobe choices and styles that we think are just exclusive attributes for white only. And, and I'm, I'm like, no, I'm sorry, we're falling for the okie doke. And I think that we do have to honor the different versions that we want to be you know, at, at one point in time, whatever we, we want to be at those times as we evolve, that we should respect that. And I think about Psalm 139 that says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. So if we take a step back, if he's already created you before you were even in your mother's womb, then he already knows that you have these different attributes and he happens to place you in the race that you're in, whatever that is, whatever background it is, but it's nothing to, to make you shy away from certain other attributes because he's created you with all of these gifts and abilities and style and, and what makes you, you. And I just, my, my thoughts around that is just embracing who you are, embracing your peculiarity, your oddness, regardless of you, whatever race that you belong to. But for my people of color that a lot of times we feel like we are defined uh, by certain parameters that are really not fair um, that are inherently racist and, and a lot of subliminal stuff going on. Let's just take a step back before we, when we see someone in public, when we have a conversation with someone, let's not start going into the labels and filling in the boxes. Um, let's just really work in that space of love and acceptance, not only for other people, but for ourselves as well. So which side do you come down on? Does blackness mean we have to use a sliding scale to determine who gets to get a black card for life? Is this a fair assessment? Can we grant each other grace to be authentically who we are with no cultural strings attached? Honestly, sometimes I think we limit our people from expressing all of who we are to our own detriment. But what say you? Check out the Peculiar Citizen Facebook and Instagram social channels because I love to hear your thoughts online. Thanks so much for listening. And in the meantime, stay peculiar.